This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of this Friday? Well, we're going to strip it down with Marcus Anthony Ray. British-born, arrived in Canada in 1965, and at only age nine, launched his career as an entertainer, singing and playing his guitar, touring Canada with major groups before his 12th birthday. Sweet success came at 16 when he accidentally stumbled into the lucrative world of male modeling, which quickly progressed to the wild world of male exotic dancing, including many prestigious awards such as Mr. Nude North America, while he danced his way across Canada and the United States. By the age of 28, Marcus realized he was truly an entrepreneur at heart, and he left his dancing career to purchase two businesses, a male stripping agency and the Cats Club in 1998. Every dog has his day, but the nights belong to cats, quote unquote. Being physically savvy, Marcus sold his businesses and opened his first powerhouse gym in Canada and soon afterwards was runner up in the Okanagan Bodybuilding Championship. Always on the lookout for ways to improve himself, Marcus's fascination with law enforcement prompted him to join the Special Constables Force of the RCMP in 1992. But when he broke his back when hit by a car during a chase on his mountain bike, the lure of entrepreneurial flair found him creating a new line of rustic home furnishings. His 1998 Pebble Creek manufacturing company housed under 20,000 square foot of factory saw spectacular growth to 10 retail stores by 2006 and one of British Columbia's most successful companies well known all the way across Canada. In 2008, I was hit by the humbling hammer, says Ray. It was a year of reevaluation for me when my entire business empire was about to be crushed. Keeping up his stage appearances became too costly and his vision of success began to fade. House flipping was the natural progression since he still owned a factory suitable to allow the customizing of homes for his customers for some time before years of struggling took its toll and he bravely decided to embrace the situation and let the curtain close on part of his life. That, for Marcus, heralded a new beginning, not an end. 
After being asked to give a small presentation about his history as an entrepreneur at a university in Vancouver, BC, he was invited to speak at the City Hall of Surrey to a group of public speakers. A new avenue of entrepreneurial spirit opened up to him in 2016 when he was approached afterwards by a world-renowned stage speaker who encouraged him to pursue a new career as a motivational speaker. The results came quickly. Starting at a Toastmaster club, Marcus was awarded with British Columbia's 2017 District Rookie of the Year. In April of 2018, he was awarded British Columbia District Champion and went on to become an international award winner on the world stage. Concurrently, he has published his first book entitled Seven Years of Skin, encompassing his personal story about his seven years as Mr. New North America. But what is the relevance of all this to us now? And what inspirational message does Marcus have for those who engage him as their speaker? We are the sum of all we have been. Now armed with a series of motivational presentations as well as humorous <laughs> keynote presentations on how to be yourself and get away with it. The Life Equation, The Art of Being You, and his most popular presentation by request, The Naked Truth. Marcus Anthony Ray is taking the speaker world by storm, introducing his own unique style of delivery, his core belief being you only fail when you lose the will to succeed. So very true. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, my friend. How are you, Marcus? I'm fantastic. I didn't even hear you draw breath when you <laughs> Well, that's quite the bio, but you know what? That's a testament to the flavorful journey of your life. And I mean, kudos to you, because when we talk about living fearlessly, have you not stepped into it, my friend? Congratulations. Yeah, I, I felt like I was pretty fearless. I mean, I started my whole career on stage in a rock band and, you know, then ended up having no pants on on stage again. <laughs> and, uh, I think I am fearless. Absolutely, you are. So let's bring the, the listeners and eventually the podcast subscribers up to speed. So where are we sitting currently? Like, where are you at right now? What's the main focus for what you're honing in on? Currently, I'm having an amazing time. I mean, I can't even believe I have to pinch myself every day. Uh, the amount of people I'm being connected with and I'm traveling all over the U.S. Um, and soon to go to Europe. So I'm, I'm very excited about my speaking career. And it's it's really catching on. Like, you know, I take a lot of my experiences out of life and I've put them all into my presentations. And it's amazing how my life is unusual, but it still relates to everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, what I want to say, too, about what I plugged there in the bio is that, you know, it's you really do have to have that inherent belief in yourself. You really do have to step into it. And once you become, you know, we don't we don't have a crystal ball. We can't always forecast what the end result is going to be of our decision making at the current time. But, you know, we I believe in intuition. I believe when you feel a calling to do something, knowing that it's it, at the very least, it's going to enhance your character, it's going to enhance your confidence, it's going to do all kinds of things that are going to set you on the stage for the trajectory of things that you could not have even imagined for yourself. And so what a yummy life you have created for yourself. And it, and it turned into a very spiritual thing, I've got to say, for mm -hmm. me. I, and let, uh, let's talk about that. Well, I, you know, I really realized after uh, in the book, there's a really bad car accident there where uh, I actually turned my own car into the cement wall. Um, I was 27 years old and I'd had enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, the male stripping world, it, you know, it, it can look pretty glamorous from the outside. But if you get into it, 
uh, you would realize the loneliness that's in there because nobody wanted you for you. They wanted you for who you were. Mm-hmm. So um, that car accident completely changed me and started me on a whole new direction, which is why I joined the police force and everything else. I wanted to try and give back and I was finding ways to do that. I never thought that I would end up being a speaker or an inspirational speaker, but it has inlined itself with the road that I was on. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's absolutely amazing to get in front of audiences. And, and when I start to tell my story and, and how it could help them uh, not to, you know, don't zig left when you should zig right. Don't do what mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing to look in their faces and just see the change that's happening within the 90 minutes I'm talking. Brilliant. It's Brilliant. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, let's talk about the male stripping component of your journey. And, and Well, I thought what, we would. Absolutely. And, and what I oftentimes like to do, and there's no judgment associated with this anytime I play devil's advocate with my guests, it's really just to go deeper and it's to give more, uh, more to contemplate from the listener's perspective. So, you know, when we play devil's advocate with the whole world and the realm of male stripping, there's always going to be uh, controversialness attached to that. There's going to be two schools of thought. Some people would say, you know, wow, that's very empowering and, and, and putting yourself out there vulnerably. Whereas other people might be of the mindset where they'd be inclined to think that it's disempowering. Like, you know, do you not think you have anything other than the exterior of your body in which to showcase and to highlight as what you have to offer the rest of the world? So let's talk about your mindset around male stripping. Okay, my mindset around male stripping. Now, uh, we're talking about the 80s. Let's not forget. Yeah. Um, I was 20 in the 80s, which is crazy age, crazy time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all about the money. I actually got into stripping not because I wanted to be a stripper. It was because the housing market crashed in the early 80s, and my mother and father were going to lose their house. Mm-hmm. So the house was going into foreclosure, and I went to a nightclub to try to be a bouncer just to get an extra job because my construction job was gone. And instead of being a bouncer, there was an amateur hula dancing contest at a ladies night. I'd never been to one. And <laughs> I strapped on a grass skirt and I got up there and I won this hula dancing contest. And they gave me $50 and said that you're in the semifinals now. And I thought, oh, God, man, I don't want to go in the semifinals. I want to be a doorman. And they said, come on, we'll pay you an extra 50 to go in it because we need the guys. Well, I go to the next ladies' night, and I dance in my grass skirt, and I win again. Now I'm in the finals, and the finals <laughs> is worth $500, and that is a lot of money back then when yes. you're not working. So I show up for the finals, and I get up there, and there's six or seven other guys, and these guys are really giving it. I mean, they're giving it everything they've got. They want that money. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, the, it's a ladies' night. I'm going to do that last resort thing. So I pulled my pants down and won the whole thing. <laughs> Because it, <laughs> it was more about getting that money than it was anything else. And uh, I've always been a fearless kind of person. I mean, I've been on stage since I was nine. So anyway, I, I won. And uh, there was an agent there from International Artists. And she came up to me and handed me a card and said I was worth a thousand bucks a week. And I thought, thousand dollars a week? Like, this is 1980. This is the 80s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was thrown into uh, male stripping. Now, when I auditioned, I'm a different kind of character. I have been all my life where I don't like to do things the way everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I always try to look for the other way. 
And so my audition was quite unique and something that they'd never seen before. So what I did is I built a crate. I had a werewolf outfit made and I got inside the crate. <laughs> Get ready for this. And two guys, friends of mine, carried the crate out on stage and put it in the middle of the stage. Now the women are screaming like crazy. <laughs> and all they see is a crate. But it's got chains on it and it's got a big lock on it. And uh -huh. there was no bottom to the crate because I was very strong. I could hold myself against the sides as they carried it. So when they plunked it on the floor, I could put my feet down and then I could put my head up and lift the crate just ever so slightly off the floor and start to spin it. Wow. So all these people saw was a crate spinning in the middle of the floor. Now the dry ice is pouring out and it looks like a whirlwind of, you know, dry ice and this crate spinning. The women were screaming so loud. It was hurting my ears. I was in a crate. <laughs> <laughs> and then the music, the eerie music uh, is going on and I stopped the crate dead. And then my hand with leather fingers and nails and fur comes out of the crate and holds the lock and shakes it a little bit. And the women just go nuts. And then it goes back in. And all I could hear to the side of me, they must have been sitting in the front row, is the agents. There was three female agents. And all I could hear was, what the hell is he doing? Oh, my God. Is he even is he in the crate? Why is he in a crate? <laughs> And then I, I took a deep breath and I burst the crate because I could pull pins on the inside. The crate burst. I stood up as a werewolf and, and the rest is history. Wow. Uh, three weeks later, I was Mr. Nude Vancouver. I walked away with the first competition. Wow. Okay. So a couple things I'm going to say. Although I've never in my life, and I'm now 48, I've never stepped foot inside of a strip club. I want to say that you gave me a really good visual uh, but more so from the creative, because that's very innovative. And, and going into it, knowing that you wanted to stand out uh, above the rest and do something that was going to, you know, set you apart from everyone else. I mean, that speaks to your entrepreneurial spirit. But you said something else that's very pivotal. And I really want to impress this upon the listening audience, Marcus. Yeah. So, you know, you embarked upon this, not because at that time, it was your identified purpose. It was based on desperation, your parents, their home was going into foreclosure, you were worried that they were going to lose it, you wanted to step up, you wanted to contribute as a family member, and you wanted to prevent your parents having to go through that unnecessary... Absolutely. Right. And yeah, so yeah. oftentimes when we talk about leadership, we talk about business, we talk about mindset, my personal opinion, and, and, and I think that you can attest to this based on this being the example of how your life played out is, you know, oftentimes when we are sitting in the abyss, when we have to like figure out very quickly how we're going to be solution focused, how we're going to get ourselves out of a desperate situation that's when we step into it and then boom, bang, things start to align. And it may not be the end all be all for that particular decision that you've made, but then it opens up a new arena of opportunities that you never could have foreseen for yourself. And in the process of doing that, I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you save your parents' house? Uh, it took me six months to catch the house up. And in the second six months, I paid it off. Wow. Okay. So yeah. what, we, so what do you what do you think about in terms of purpose is birthed out of desperation, not passion? Well, you know, we're just human. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to, for me to suffer through something, but to watch my parents suffer through something was too much. Mm -hmm. So uh, my father, he was actually my stepfather, uh, but, but my real dad uh, to, to every sense. 
I, I never saw him depressed. I never saw him uh, that way before. He was such a hardworking man. And then to just be able to sit at the kitchen table every morning with the newspaper, you know, and, and not be able to do anything, that was killing him. Mm. Uh, now, I lied to him. I told him I was a doorman. I didn't tell him I was a stripper. <laughs> and, uh, and, and things used to happen to male strippers, like, you know, your pants got stolen and things like that. So um, I, I came home uh, one time with some scratches on my neck. <laughs> and, uh, and he thought I got in a fight as a doorman. Right. And he said, are, are you fighting a bunch of girls? And I said, as a matter of fact, Dad, yes. <laughs> Wow. And you must have been earning more money than anyone as a doorman. Good for uh, you. You scaled oh yeah, fast. Oh yeah. Well, I won Mr. Nude BC in the first three months. And then I got Mr. Nude Lower Mainland right after that. And then I got Mr. Nude uh, you know, something else. I don't know. They started calling me Mr. Nude everything, which was quite flattering. But uh -huh. um, uh, when I got the, the Nude North America, that was the big one. And so based upon all the notoriety and all the, the, the attention and the media, I'm sure at that point, your stepfather came to know the truth. Is that true? Well, here's a funny story. Now, here's what happened is I came in as a young man and a bodybuilder. And when stripping started, they really didn't have bodybuilders. They just had regular guys doing it. And then all of a sudden, some some young men like myself came in and we were we were really built. And uh, so the older guys were getting pushed out. They were getting less work because we were being requested. So one guy decided to sue the international artists uh, mm -hmm. over age discrimination. Wow. And so the Vancouver Sun, uh, they posted a front page ad about this story because it was so unusual that there was a male stripper uh, trying to sue an agency over age discrimination. And they used a picture of the latest, greatest uh, male stripper on the planet. And that was my picture. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> my freaking dad reads the newspaper every morning. So, <laughs> I come up for breakfast one morning and uh, dad's sitting at the table with his t uh, paper. And he just says to me, he says, how was last night? He goes, any trouble? And I go, no, no, everything was fine. And he goes, well, I imagine it was okay. And he turned the paper around and he said, you know, I imagine it's not a bad thing having all the women come and chasing after you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. Now you know <laughs> And he had a name for me. Ever since then, he called me a, a weenie waggler. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that never stopped till the day he died. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, yeah. in terms of what you felt you needed to do to step up for the benefit of your family, I just want to say kudos to you. You know, because, you know, many of us through life, we're catapulted into all kinds of situations that are unforeseen, unexpected. You know, some we could never have imagined in a million years. And you just have to make the best of it. And you just got to be solution focused. And you've got to try and find the lesson within, within you know, all the things that are adversarial and going against you at the time. So, again... You pivoted very quickly and you did it in a way that benefited everybody. So, and that was really the echelon of, of you stepping into what the rest of your career was going to look like. So let's talk about the various hats, because when I plugged the bio at the beginning, the intro here at the top of the hour, you know, you've done so many things in your life. You've done more than the average person who lives a full life, even if they live to the age of 70 or a hundred. So for all the hats that you have worn, what 
what is your, where do you derive your most passion and purpose? If you could only limit yourself to one path going forward, what would it be? Uh, for accounting, what I'm doing right now, it's definitely, it's definitely inspirational speaking. Beautiful. I, I, I'm helping people and, and they're helping me in the process. I, I've learned so much from doing it mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and talking about the past and everything I've done, I look back at it and if I hadn't have done all those things, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the impact I have now as a speaker. Bingo. Bingo. Absolutely. So, and that's why right? I'm, I'm one of those people like you, Marcus, it's not about regret, right? It, it, it's no. just, you know, it, it's all part and parcel of what it needs to be. And it's not until we get into where we currently are <clears throat> futuristically that we can connect the dots and look back on things. Because oftentimes when we're sitting in the abyss or where we're just floundering our way through things, we have no idea how this is all going to manifest and what the outcome is going to be. But then when we have the opportunity to be introspective and we can look back in retrospect, then it starts to make sense a little bit, does it not? Well, yeah. And you know, you can't live in the past. The past is living in you. Yes. And I love that. I was going to get to that, but you just opened that door. So, so let's talk a little bit about some of the feedback that you've received as a result of not only your book, but some of your keynote presentations that you're doing on the stage. What have people approached you and saying as a result of having listened to you speak and you being very vulnerable and very candid, how has that transformed them or shifted them? Well, for most of them that uh, come up to me and speak to me, you know, I've, I've really touched on a part in their own lives. Like I said, even though my life has been strange, even the male stripping thing has been very an odd thing. For some reason, it connects with people. Um, the vulnerability of being up there naked in front of everybody that you don't know, um, just just showing a transparency. Um, when I'm on stage and I speak about it, I go right into depth. And when I do my Q&A, I, I let the audience know there is no question I won't answer. Mm, beautiful. Uh, so careful what you ask. Yeah, because you might just get it. Well, yeah. So I, I will answer the question if you ask me. And the same here today with you, Lisa. If you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. Yeah. So uh, the, way that, um, the way that they've approached me is um, how, how did you get past this? How did you get past that? Um, on stage, I speak about the loneliness of actually being a top male dancer and and three o'clock in the morning you're you're sitting in your room alone um everyone's fighting to get at you but you don't want anybody because they don't want you they just want what you portray yes so and you get enough of that and once you've had your fill of that there's a huge emptiness in you Mm -hmm. and it led a lot of the guys to suicide ODing. um i mean it just led to disaster and so, and what were the repercussions in terms of the isolation factor that showed up for you? Well, the repercussions of that was to to really, and I'll tell you this quite honestly, is once I didn't feel that anybody loved me for me, mm-hmm. then I didn't believe anybody ever would. Really? So I destroyed three marriages right off the bat. Wow. I never believed in them. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, um, it tainted me, you know, it, 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 it damaged me a bit that mm-hmm. way. Um, I always want to know what people want. Well, not anymore, but I always wanted to know what people wanted from me. Why, why are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. What do you want from me? Cause that's the, that's the life you lived. Mm-hmm. And well, even imagine going to be an RCMP officer after that. Yeah. No kidding. I, I mean, from the, from the pan into the fire. <laughs> 
Okay, well, let's, I, I don't want to lose, I, because again, you said something that was very key and pivotal. So if, if we're talking about who you are today in current times for what you are now embarking upon, what you're endeavoring to do and what's consuming a lot of your time, um, going back to the isolation and going back to, you know, the questioning you had within yourself, you know, to what degree do people really love me for who I am or, or alternatively, is it the persona of what Marcus uh, presents to people? Now, you're still in the limelight. So are you still struggling from time to time with the question of do people still love me or know me for who I am? Or is it the persona as the speaker, as the author, as the person who's being regularly sought out for media opportunities? You know, to what degree does that still impact you or haunt you? I, I actually, I'm, I'm going to say that it's pretty much gone because with what, I, with what I say on stage, what I'm trying to teach people about my past is is to get rid of that kind of feeling and i feel that people now want to talk to me because of me because of, because of my soul and you know i've done a lot of work a lot of work to get to where i am and in realizing that i i need to be me no matter what i i can't mm -hmm. transform i can't hit the stage and become someone else i have hit the stage with other speakers and when i've listened to them backstage and then i've gone out and seeing them go out, I realized they're two different people. Mm. And and I really didn't like that. Yeah. I thought that audience deserves honesty, truth, transparency. They need to know who you are because they're going to listen to you. So it was Absolutely. very I was very adamant about this is how I am off stage, this is how I am on stage, this is how I am at home, uh, this is how I am driving my car. Mm -hmm. I don't change. So I would say that anybody that's in touch with me now is, is with me because of me. Mm -hmm. and Beautiful. I'm quite, I'm quite well, and because you, you err on the side of authenticity and because you are sharing your story when you take the stage and a good component of your story is no different than what you've shared here so far in this interview. Marcus is, you know, questioning, you know, to what degree do people really like me for me or, or conversely the persona of who I am. I would think because you're, you're really just calling it out for what it was and, and that aspect of what you grappled with internally from an isolation standpoint, I would think that the more you are speaking about that specifically on the stage, that's cathartic for your own healing, correct? Well, exactly. That's what I was saying. When I get in front of these audience, I'm, I'm getting just as much out of it as they are. Beautiful. In the end, you know, and, I, and I'm learning from my audiences. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm amazed with, uh, with the way that people um, approach me sometimes because they're so willing to tell me everything about them. Mm -hmm. And I find that fascinating. I find it very, I, I love it. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating that they say they're telling me things they haven't told anybody. And they don't really know me yet, except for that guy on stage. So that tells me something. It tells me that I'm coming across the way that I want to, which is I'm authentic. Here I am. I'm not, I'm not here to pull the wool over your eyes, or I'm not even here to sell you anything. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm just here to have a conversation with you that I think is going to open up your life. That's well, 
I'm, I'm going to say that I'm not at all surprised to hear that, to be honest with you, in terms of, um, you know, people quite candidly and vulnerably sharing things with you and, and prefacing it as I've never told anybody else these things other than to you. And I think why that would be is because, you know, taking into account what you did as a male stripper, I mean, literally and figuratively, that's bearing all, right? That's, that's oh, bearing- absolutely. That's bearing all. And so when you put yourself in that position of bearing all, literally and figuratively, you're then giving permission directly, indirectly to other people, whether it be the listening audience uh, who are watching you take the stage or who are reading your book, to know that you are approachable. Because if there was anybody who could identify with what it felt like perhaps to be stigmatized or to feel ostracized or to feel unfairly judged... Sure. It would it would be you. And so you've given people permission to step forward and talk about whatever it is they feel they can't share with the majority of other people in their circles. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's a true testament to you. Really, it is. Well, I, th- I think when you've been through as much as I have and there, there's there's tons um, we won't even be able to get to all of that today, but um you, you do realize that, you know, there's only two things in the world that really exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only want two things, love and be loved. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we base everything off of that, life is pretty good. Yes. Yes. Well, and as you've kind of said in a very roundabout way, um, but, you know, I always go to the abstract and I always hear the unspoken as opposed to what's just, you know, verbiage and what's out there. Um, but because you've been committed to your own growth and because you've been committed to your own healing and your own personal development, you came to quickly realize that everything is a derivative of self-love, right? And there's yeah, no coincidence right. to the word self preceding everything else when we're talking about self-worth, self-concept, self-value, self-everything, self-esteem. And so once you committed yourself to doing that work and getting crystallized as to who you are, regardless of how other people choose to perhaps misconstrue you, uh, misinterpret you, dismiss you, whatever the case may be, when you love yourself, nothing else matters, right? You can really- Absolutely. Well, that's the only time that you can be loved. Yes. Well, yes. Bingo. Bullseye. Bullseye. Because when, and, and that to me is the attractor factor too, because you can clearly see who's done the work on themselves, uh, who emits and exudes that type of energy where the people that you are, is the boomerang effect, effect. So when you yes. are emitting positive energy and when people can see to what degree you love yourself, you accept yourself, you embrace yourself, uh, it's an open pathway for people to resonate with you and you attract the yumminess of the good quality people in your life that you want in your life. Well, you, you know, the vibration that you've got going is very attractive. So yeah. Um, everybody wants to connect with you. Everybody wants to talk to you uh, because they want to know how to feel like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a simple, basic human thing. It absolutely is. And, and in fact, most things in life, I would say, are simple. But we, sure as, as, as human beings, we're complex and we tend to make things more complicated than what needs to be. Well, yeah, because we got to put a reason behind everything. Mm-hmm. We've, we, we have to put a reason behind it. Um, there has to be something that we have to do to get it. Um, you know, it, we, we constantly take, I, I look at the universe. This is the way I look at the universe. You might find this funny. 
the universe was based off the number two. Mm-hmm. There's night and there's day. Mm-hmm. But we make noon. Right. There's black, there's white. But we make gray. Right. So I, I just look at life that way. I, I think, why do we keep making the third thing when, mm-hmm. when, when everything is just very basic? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we've just made everything so complicated that we can't live in what we've created. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, for people who are listening in, Marcus, they would think, okay, well, if anybody can take a stage and bear all, there's probably nothing left that could make this guy feel somewhat fearful. But let's talk about the realness, because although my brand and everything I I stand for is based and premised on living fearlessly, it's not that fear doesn't exist. It's how you overcome it and how quickly you step into overcoming it. So for people who might be of the uh, belief that there's nothing that maybe, you know, trips you up to to date or makes you feel a little bit conscientious or makes you feel a little bit nerve wracked. What would you say to that? What is something that causes you trepidation or something that you do have to combatively overcome? I I can tell you very easily that uh, I push myself extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you well know, since we first met, you can see how hard I push myself. Yes. I am absolutely scared shitless of of failure. Okay, let's talk it about failure. the hell out of me. Okay, let's talk about failure because some people who are in the personal growth, personal development industry, they don't like to look upon things or make reference to things as failure per se. They, they would rather, Oprah being an example, she talks about, no, it's just a misstep. You know, it, it, it's a lesson. And once you learn the lesson, then you know how to pivot differently. So some people talk about, you know, fail, fail fast, fail quickly, fail forward. Other people say failure on its own does not exist. It's really just an, it's, it's a lesson that needs to be embraced and moving forward. So how do you define failure? I define failure when I lose the will to succeed. Okay. All right. I get that. And based on that description and that definition, I would be inclined to believe uh, or agree with you. So um, uh, that's the one thing I fear is losing that will to yeah. push the way I push. Okay. And so and is, is that being, is that being, um, uh, for that being your definition or example of where you would feel a sense of fear, does that motivate and inspire you to the point where you don't even allow yourself to feel that emotion? Because if you do, then that's indicative of the fact that you're starting to give up or you're not executing the way you should, if you do have true willpower and fortitude and resiliency and tenacity. So how do you keep yourself abreast of that? I, I keep moving. I get up at four thirty in the morning and I move. I, I can't, I can't even let myself go to that place where I might enter self-doubt. Fantastic. So I, I don't, I don't let it happen. So, uh, and honestly, I fear the day it may happen, um, but, but I won't let it happen. So if you can understand that, it's that, it's that fear of not accomplishing what I need to do on this planet before I leave mm-hmm. that makes me go and do it. Beautiful. So, so I will not stop doing it mm-hmm. because the, as I, as, as I said, the, the fear of losing the desire and the will to push mm-hmm. is, is my greatest fear. I, I don't want to lose that. And well, I, I've managed it all my life to not lose that. 
Well, and, and I think because you've honed that muscle and because you have made that a non-negotiable choice for yourself, I don't think you, my friend, have any issues in that department. I don't think that's something that you ever have to worry about defaulting to. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a, a, an issue for you whatsoever. But I do want to say that it's very important that although you're cognizant of that and that being always at the forefront, which keeps you on the, the straight narrow and on the path of where you want to go and need to continuously go, it's very important because what you put your attention on does in fact grow stronger and that can work for the intuitive and it can work for the counterintuitive, it can work for the positive, and it can alternatively work for the negative. So it's very important that although we keep things in our mind as benchmarks of where not to digress and where only to proceed and go forward and make advancements, that we don't create a self-fulfilling prophecy for ourselves by putting too much attention on the things that are not going to serve us. Exactly. I mean, how many people really want to achieve something. I meet a lot of these people at, at my seminars. How many people really want to achieve something and then they'll get up, they'll get all hyped in front of you, they'll get hyped at your show, everything else, and the next morning they'll get up, they'll turn the TV on, and they won't move. Mm -hmm. Now that's a mm -hmm. shame because they felt what it was like to want the desire mm -hmm. and then the desire is gone by the next day. Mm-hmm. And so what that's do you, why I say I fear being somebody like I don't want to ever be that. And what do you attribute that to? That type of person? I, I attribute that to real life getting in the way. Mm -hmm. I, I attribute that to they look at their lives because I talk to a lot of these people now. They look at their lives and they've got emotional impressions pushed upon them. If, mm -hmm. if I can get into this just really quickly. Please do. Uh, Okay, the way that I see it is we all have history. You have history, I have history. In my history, I had emotional markers. These are impressions at certain scenes in my life that stuck. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, they didn't move. Mm -hmm. Now, I tell my audience, imagine your life as a movie reel. Now, the movie is moving, but now one of the frames got stuck. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the movie keeps playing. So now it's playing over top of one of the frames. So everything's a little blurry. Beautiful. Good now, metaphor. later on, you get another one. Then you mm -hmm. get another one. Then you get mm -hmm. a bad marriage. That's another one. Um, and, um, you know, all sorts of things keep happening in your life. And now you've got six or seven frames stuck, but the rest of your life movie is playing over top. Beautiful. Now, how blurry is your future? Exactly. Those are the people that cannot get up and get going because mm -hmm. they can't see what's ahead because they keep looking at where they've been. Mm -hmm. and it's right in front of them so the way that i see it is unless you clear those emotional blocks it's very hard for you to get the same kind of attitude that let's say you and i have mm -hmm. and push forward in life and keep pushing because we can clearly see where we're going mm -hmm. okay and well let let sorry i'm going to pause you right there because for the benefit again of the listening audience and the podcast subscribers you hit upon something that is so key here that it's going to transform the listeners to perhaps getting off the fence in their own lives um so you know using yourself because you did using yourself and myself as the example of how to choose to do things differently um that is a choice you know where once upon a time uh, maybe in our childhoods or at different stages within our own evolution of growth or, or chronological ages, whatever the case may be, you know, there may have been a point where we have been, we may have felt that we were rendered 
powerless or we were too young to have informed choice sure. or to yep. have free will. Yeah. Now, when you become, particularly in today's day and age, because it's all information based, I mean, almost oversaturated, but the messages are always out there in terms of what people's options are, how people can step into their greatness, how people can eradicate fear. And so when we talk about deconstructing the indoctrinated blueprint that once upon a time we were all subjected to, call it the generation of our parents, call it, uh, you know, false beliefs and false concepts that no longer serve us, particularly living in 2020 today. Um, if, if an adult of today's day and age decides to sit, still succumb to victimology as opposed to, to empowering themselves to be their own warrior or to be their own hero or to be their own shiro, then you know what? It, it's not like Marcus and myself, listening audience, it's not like we were born with a silver spoon in our mouth. It's not oh, like we no. Right. It's not like we were born with an extra gene that separated us from the rest of humanity and the population of people. It's something that we elected to, you know, and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and really like examining our own shit and really taking a look at, OK, to what degree do I believe in once upon a time and whoever it was that professed that to be the end all be all for truth? You know, you've got to turn things around. You've got to be investigative. You've got to be explorative. You've got to be curious. You've got to be willing to do the work and call yourself on your own shit before, therefore, feeling it's your right to point the finger at somebody else and call them on theirs. Um, well, now that we're freely using the word shit, let's get into yes, it. Yes, so, let's get into you know, shit. <clears throat> okay, so the way I see it is many people get into um, trying to fix themselves up. They go and they buy programs. They go to seminars. Um, they purchase whatever the speaker's got. And they're trying to take something new, something fresh, mm -hmm. something exciting. And they're trying to put it into all the existing shit they already got. Yes. And you can't put new into old shit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, and I prove this time and time again. You've got to clear yourself out yeah. to have an open space to accept the new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I've got not, the speakers programs that are there, they, a lot of speakers got fantastic programs, but the attrition rate is like 75% mm -hmm. because the people aren't ready to take it in. Mm -hmm. They're jumping one step ahead of themselves. Absolutely. What they need to do is, a, is, let's call it a cleansing. They they need to go back and, as I said, look at those frames that are stuck. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say that way back in the day you were beaten up as a child. Um, if you have fear attached to that frame and that frame is stuck in you, mm -hmm. if you look back and you look at that scene very carefully, you'll realize that now you're sitting there as an adult. You survived that. Right. Take a really good look at that. And how about being proud that you were such a tough kid mm -hmm. that you're sitting here now able to talk about it? Brilliant. So switch that emotion from fear to pride because you got through it mm -hmm. and you're you're a loving, normal individual. And here you are now ready to take on the world in whatever form you want. You can clear that one out of your way simply by being proud that you were that strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. So two things I'm going to say is two simultaneous thoughts came to me. 
So in my way of saying it, which is basically reiterating and underscoring what you just said so succinctly and so beautifully, Marcus, which I'm very grateful to you for having done so, is, you know, it, it's no differently and a different metaphor I'll use, you know, whether you call it spring cleaning or, or whatever, you know, to make way and to make room for the new, you've got to relinquish the old, right? You can't create, as you said, new space for the new things that do belong, that do serve you, uh, that are going to be a benefit to you unless you purge yourself of the old things that are no longer, it's just dead weight. So that's my first thought. The, the second thought is, um, um, okay, where am I going with this? The second, go? yeah, <laughs> I'm just so fired up here. Um, so the, the, the second thought is it, it pretty much speaks to I it, I've lost that thought. It's going to come back to me. Um, but OK, well, I, while it's waiting to come back. To yes. <laughs> yeah. What, what I'm trying to say is you it's the emotion that has to get chucked and replaced. Right. Yes. The scene, will ne the scene will never leave. Right. You can never leave your past behind you. That doesn't happen. Right. I can tell you right now that the man you're speaking to is is a nine-year-old rock star. I'm a male stripper. I'm a male model. I'm an RCMP officer. I'm a nightclub owner. I'm all those things that you're talking to right now. Mm -hmm. Everything has been absolutely accepted in me. Mm -hmm. I look mm -hmm. at the soul as like a library. It's, it's taking everything in and holding on to it. Mm. Now, how you use it in your future is the magic and what you do with the emotions attached to it. There's many moments in my stripping career. I was a completely, I felt shame, disgust, pain, mm -hmm. but I've turned that around and I've said, I'm proud to be able to speak about it now mm -hmm. because it's helping other people. Okay. And that's my point. That was my second point. So to, to reiterate and to underscore what you just said, which was my second thought that I'd lost track of there. It's you glad know, to bring we, you back. Yes. Thank you. So when we go back to your example of, you know, using, uh, you know, if you were an abused child and then looking at yourself from the perspective, the vantage point of now, you know, I, I should be proud of myself. This is what I overcame. This is what I overcame. So what that's important is people like you who I interview, people who are in the shits once upon a time within their own story, their own current circumstances, their own situation. Once you identified, okay, what is the solution for my own problem? And once you, you hone that, you implement that, you take the actionable steps, and then you come out on the other side of it, this is where people like you, Marcus, you become servant leaders because it really is about knowing, well, you know, I can't be the only person statistically, if we want to just break it down to numerology, I can't be the only person who went through this. And yes, exactly. every person's individual circumstances are unique, but this is what then takes you to the next level of not just having solved the problem for yourself. Now you can solve the similar problem, if not the same problem for a whole bunch of people at the collective level. And this is where your message and standing in your truth and your vulnerability, this is where as a servant leader, you have the, the gift and the privilege and the honor of paying it forward and being of service to the collective. I believe that my past happened to me for a reason. I, yes. I believe that it was all put in line I, I did so many crazy, unbelievable things <laughs> that that to <laughs> unbelievable things that to stand in front of an audience and and connect with them 
on a level that that is unusual. I, I can hit it on an emotional, funny, um, every level possible. I can I can connect with this audience and have them come up afterwards and then tell me their story and seeing how it relates to mine. They weren't strippers, but different things happened to them. But yes. they ended up in the same emotion as me. Yes. You see, that's the thing. The emotion we both brought out of two different circumstances was the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's and fascinating. Absolutely. And as human beings, again, whether we can relate to each person's individual circumstances or not, is fundamentally irrelevant because as human beings, whatever our individual circumstances are, we all know what it means to be on the spectrum of feeling everything under the sun. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and you're right. Everything is about feeling. Feeling is, is then, you know, brought on by energy and, and, and what do we feel about ourselves? And therefore, based upon how we feel about ourselves, how then do we view the rest of the world? Because there is a huge correlation to that. And for people to say that there's not, it's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, Marcus, being cognizant of time, I want to give you the opportunity to plug to the listening audience and to the podcast subscribers. Where can people seek you out for an initial consultation? Where can people uh, book you for a speaking gig? Where can people buy your book? Uh, is there any book signings coming up? Like whatever you can tell us that's forecasted on the calendar of where people can connect with you or watch you or see you or listen to you. I'd love to hear that. Okay, well, depending on where they are, I'm uh, I'm all over the place. So it's it's kind of like uh, you just basically have to take a look and on uh, my website, which is marcusraytalks.com, mm -hmm. and you can get all your information there. The new website is just going up in the next couple of days. I'm very excited about that. Beautiful. And the book is available on Amazon.com or Amazon.ca. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to give a warning with this book. I, I like to give a warning. I have told the truth, which means mm -hmm. this book is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't hold any punches. I, I, I took certain circumstances that happened to me over those seven years, and I put them in that book. And even originally when I did it, uh, and the, the people that were going to make the, do the book, publish it, they came back and said, wow, it seems like, you almost say something and then you don't say it. And I said, well, I, you know, I'm trying to be careful with my wording. They assigned a professional writer to me and he made me put everything in there. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful for everybody else except me because <laughs> <laughs> there's some crazy stuff in that book. And that's why I say it's not for everybody. And it's funny because at, I, I almost prefer people meet me before they, re they read the book because when they read the book, they get an impression of that person. Mm -hmm. And that's not me. That used to be me. Mm -hmm. But as I explained to my family, I wrote the book so that the book would be that guy over there. Right. That's not me anymore. That's that guy in that book. So it's quite... But um, what I will say to that, though, is, you know, if people want to be regarded as intelligent... And they want to be given credit for being critical thinkers, then they've got to take stock of that. They've got to take onus of that themselves, right? You can't spoon sure. feed everybody. And people will understand that the book was premised on different times in your life. Who doesn't grow from different aspects of what transpired in our lives, even yesterday or a week ago or six months ago or a year ago? So if people are going to disillusion themselves by reading the book before they perhaps have the chance to meet you and think that that's the end all be all and that you haven't evolved, 
that's on them, Marcus. Oh well, you can't you can't have a book like that. And not it's grow or die. Like you, <laughs> you it's just grow or die. Right. Grow, yeah. Beautiful. But, uh, anyway, it's available on Amazon. As far as bookings, uh, I'm going to be in Vegas for two days. I think that's on uh, the February 22nd and 23rd. Wonderful. And I'll be going over to Miami after that. I don't have my dates yet. Mm-hmm. I am going to be in Vancouver, B.C. at the Justice Institute of all places uh, in their theater. And that is on the 13th of February. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, listen, Marcus, again, being cognizant of time, we unfortunately have to wrap up, but that's not to say for somebody like yourself who's continuously committed to rapid growth and momentum and always having updates, you're always welcome to come back to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Truly, you are. Uh, It's been an honor. It's been a privilege. I think you're dynamic. I think you're truly stepping into your power, and I think you're providing a wonderful service to the collective by showing everybody for having demonstrated so yourself that it's embrace yourself self-love you know don't hide behind it tear down the mask tear down the walls there's no need for a facade it's not relatable to think that you've got to portray one aspect of who you are when in fact who you really are is unfortunately being buried beneath you that that's a choice people do not have to do that so just just take everything you've been and that's who you are absolutely so again i appreciate the gift of your time uh, congratulations on all your success. I know you're just going to continue to hit it out of the park as you continuously have throughout the course of your entire journey. Uh, really such an honor to talk to you and to the listening audience. I want to thank you very much for the gift of your time and taking time out of your schedule to listen to myself and Marcus Anthony Ray highly encourage you to get the book highly encourage you to play back the podcast once it's been released and to reach out to Marcus. This is somebody who's lived, uh, has lived well and has a lot of information and a lot of inspiration in which to impart to people. I'm very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more until next Friday, love and gratitude to all of you. Take care and all my best and to you as well, Marcus. Bye-bye. Thanks Lisa. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero. Be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.